Christianity is one of the most potent forces in the world. Both the Christian myth and the Christian teachings are of extreme importance to us all. In some sense, I think the world has not even been ready for Christianity until now. A true Christianity may only be beginning to be emerging. Much of what has passed for Christianity in the past has actually been a defense against the teachings of Christ, a fear of them, a denial of them, even in the form of worshiping Christ. For one thing, Christ taught that the love of money is the root of all evil. And yet we've created a society based on the love of money. And we've called it a Christian society. Something's wrong with that picture. Christ was also a teacher of the apocalypse. His main teaching was that the world was going to end. He was off a few thousand years. But the idea was right. And perhaps it had to be taught at that moment in order to prepare people. Because if something isn't about to happen immediately, nobody's going to do anything, as we know. And in his world, the people he was addressing, that cultural world, was indeed facing an apocalypse. It did get destroyed. And soon after that, the Roman Empire got destroyed. And soon after that, the Holy Roman Empire, so-called. And then we were in the Dark Ages. And then that fell, and the Middle Ages, and the Renaissance, which didn't last for very long. And then the so-called Enlightenment, which was really an endarkenment, and the beginning of the modern age in which the real apocalypse has been prepared for us. And we are now at the brink of it. And very few people can deny any longer. And so it's at this moment that the teachings of Christ actually are of extreme importance. Because he teaches that the world must come to an end so that it can be reborn as the kingdom of God and no longer the kingdom of mammon or Satan. And to do that, we must prepare ourselves and be worthy of such a world. It's a very important teaching to take extremely seriously. I rec recommend that all of you become true Christians. And here at Sat Yoga, we are true Christians. But to be a true Christian doesn't mean to negate the teachings of Buddha and the teachings of Lao Tzu and the teachings of other great sages as well. They must all be integrated into a whole. It's not a zero-sum game, whereas if you believe in one set of teachings, you deny others. Let's learn from all of the wisdom of humanity, the entire heritage of human wisdom from the earliest times. And the earliest resources of wisdom were the yogis of ancient India. And so that's why we have recovered those teachings and integrated them with everything that has come since. And it turns out that it is all in alignment. It's a single picture that's being described from many different angles, many perspectives. But the Christian perspective is a most important one because the teachings are both about the vertical and the horizontal. The horizontal, the teachings, the apocalyptic teachings are about what is going to happen to the world that has proven accurate. The timeline was off, but the teachings are accurate. 
And we have now arrived at the apocalyptic period. And so it's of very great importance to understand what Christ has taught about dealing with the challenges of this time of t tribulation and of the plagues and the difficulties and the shadow of death and how to see the blessing and the light within that and to invoke the presence of God as a protection in this time. The second teaching of greatest importance, I would say, is that of the crucifixion. And that teaching is to be taken as a metaphor for the condition of all of us. Each of us here who is in ego consciousness is being crucified. And the crucifixion means the state of duality. You're being pulled in two directions, literally pulled apart, at least in two, probably more, and nailed to a cross, nailed to your attachments, your addictions, desires, fears, all the negative aspects of the ego consciousness and the fact that it is unconscious of its own real agendas that keep it nailed to those processes and conditionings that actually were responsible for its construction in the first place. And yet it is nailed to the tree of life because the holy rood, the cross, is a representation of the tree of life. And therefore, it's from that tree that one arises and ascension is gained. And so, it's very important to recognize that death leads to eternal life. It's not the end. The teachings of Christ are anti-nihilistic. There is resurrection. You are not the body. The body, in a sense, is also a form of the cross. You're not the body. You preceded the body, just as Jesus himself said, before Abraham was, I am. I am that I am. That teaching is true for Christ, and it's true for all of us, man or woman. Each of us is the only begotten child of God. And it's that paradox, because Christ is the ultimate paradox. He's an example of that. Flesh and spirit completely emptied out his divinity and yet is filled with divinity. Dead and yet in eternal life. The teachings of Christ are more relevant than ever, but they have to be taken at a personal level. It's not about someone else to be worshipped. It is about worshipping the Christ self within and allowing that Christ self to emerge from its crucified condition to its ascended risen condition so that you realize that you yourself are a part of God. Because worship without that recognition is simply subservience to a fantasy, not the realization of the truth of your being. And so the teachings of Christ have to be applied accurately and to do that, we must take our own Christ self seriously as the truth of our being, not the constructed false self of the ego. That is what must die on the cross so that the real self may live. And it is through that process of resurrection 
that we can go through the apocalyptic period and bring about the kingdom of God on earth because the kingdom of God is the kingdom of the Christ-realized beings who have passed through this rite of passage of the hell realm, of the darkness, of the valley of the shadow of death that the world has become in order to bring the light back to the world. And it's only the true Christians who will do that. And if you read the book of Revelation, it's those with a mark on the forehead. What is that? The third eye. It's the same as the teachings of the East, the same as the teachings of Buddhism. The third eye must be open. Christ says, unless thine eye be single, then one cannot achieve that enlightenment. But that single eye is the eye of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit must be realized within you. And this can only happen through silencing the ego mind. And thus Christ taught contemplation, meditation. The path of silence, the silent night that we sing about even today. In a certain sense, the Christ myth must be read backwards. We start with a crucifixion and end with a birth. It's important because until the ego has died, the rebirth of the Christ self cannot happen. So let's look at it backwards. First the crucifixion, and then we can go back to the teachings, and then the initiation, which is the bringing down of the, the dove, the beautiful Holy Spirit for everyone, the baptism that will bring the waters of life to the world, and the overcoming of Satan in the desert, those temptations that could not tempt one because one had already achieved the immovable spot same spot that Buddha sat upon and that Krishna lived in. And then the rebirth of God that is celebrated, that must be celebrated for real, not simply as a tradition, but as the lived realization of your birth as the God-Self, completely emptied out of ego. This is what each of us must accomplish in our own lives. This is the imperative that religion presents to us. It's not a maybe, it's not a you could do this, it is you must. This is the commandment. Do we take this commandment from God seriously? What, what kind of priority level do we give this in our lives? This is the question. If this is not our highest priority, our life will not go well. Because we will fall under the temptations of Satan. Even that will, of course, lead us to the suffering that will bring us to Christ. So we can do it that way if we want. Everyone will get there one way or another. But you can get there through suffering or you can get there through the direct surrender to God and achieve it through bliss. Both paths are always open. But to achieve it in the blissful way requires a lot of self-discipline, a lot of training, a lot of what the ego thinks of as asceticism, which is really just letting go of your suffering. But because we're attached to our suffering and it gives us pleasure, at least at the front end, and we don't think about the back end, uh, then we have a hard time letting go of addictive processes that just reduce lower and lower our life energy and create so many symptoms of suffering that they could not even be listed. And so it's this choice that has to be made by the intellect in the most lucid and open way that it can achieve to make a decisive conversion 
a shift of one's life from living in body consciousness of the path of the ego and shift to the path of Christ. It's this decision that we make traditionally on this night, the night before the birth, because if that decision is not made in favor of Christ, then the birth in you cannot happen. And then all of the presents under the Christmas tree are not for you. They won't be able to be opened. But those presents are again symbolic of the gifts of God that are given under the same tree of life that was the cross to those who have achieved Christ consciousness. And of course the best gift is the star shining at the top of the tree that is the light of the self. Do we wish to be models of that beautiful message and give that light to the world? Or do we want to live in the darkness of the ego? This is the question each of us must answer, and it's not an easy one to answer. And part of you says yes, and probably part of you says no. And this is the battle. Our next retreat is about this battle. The, the, the retreat is actually time to be about the same Christmas story but that Christmas story preceded the birth of Jesus. And you know, Jesus was called Christo because they were wondering, was he another incarnation of Krishna? Krishna was the avatar of the age. And Christo is simply the mispronunciation that the Greeks gave to it. It meant the, the anointed one, but it also meant the avatar. This is what the only begotten son means. And Krishna is the avatar of Vishnu. Vishnu represents the Son, the same trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was already present. It wasn't invented by Christ or by Christianity. This had been there all along, but it was Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Brahma from Brahman, the Father, the Absolute. Vishnu, the Son, because it's Vishnu who incarnates as Krishna and in other forms, as Rama and as uh, many other Incarnations, but it's always the only begotten Son, and then the Holy Spirit, that is Shiva. The same story, same myth, is present in every religious tradition. Slightly different names, slightly different ways in which the story is told, but it's the same archetypal story, because this is the story of human psychology and human spirituality and human history, all in one. And we must understand these myths as historical premonitions and predictions that teach us about not only our past but our future to prepare us for that day and teach us about how our minds work, why we are lost in the darkness of the ego, why and how we can free ourselves from that darkness and find the light. And so the teachings of the apparently different religions are actually point for point the same truth but told from different perspectives and so the Christ is Krishna is the Buddha is the Tao and you can incorporate and integrate all the religions and have all of the entire puzzle of our true story uh, in one package and this is the reason for studying the esoteric understanding of religions. And to be able to compare and contrast the different religions because each one 
by looking at the same truth from a different angle in the same way that the different blind men looked at an elephant from a different angle and see different parts of that elephant can see all of the parts of the complexity that is our reality and see it all as one integrated whole. But you can also look at it very simply through any given religious tradition and see the same truth. And it's very simple. It is simply death and rebirth. You can't get simpler than that. The false self must die so that the real self can be born. And so that's why we come here, simply to do that, to achieve that metamorphosis in the same way that the caterpillar must die so that the butterfly can be born. The human ego must die so that the angelic self can be born and bring the light of God back to a world that has lost that light, that power, that energy, that access to the miraculous that alone can save us in this hour of darkness. And because of our fallen state, we must be humble enough to pray. In the beginning of our journey upward, we must invoke the help of God because we have lost the realization of our own godliness. We have fallen under the illusion of being separate beings. We've identified with the body. And the soul that is under that hypnotic trance of body consciousness must invoke the help of that self, the supreme self that has been projected outward and into the heavens or into wherever it has been projected in one's fantasy to, to return to one, to come back. And all prayers are really, God, come, help, save me. And that salvation will come to you if it is done with humility, with truthfulness, and with a consistency of yearning that does not at the last moment when the help actually does begin to come and you begin to feel the presence of the light and the shakti and the love of God to say, oh, wait a minute, I was just kidding. I'm not really ready for that. That's what happens for most people. You get a little bit of that energy and you say, whoa, it's too much. Let me go back into the comfort zone of the ego. And that's the question. Do you have the courage to be a receptacle of the infinite energy of God? knowing that the consequences will be the death of the ego. Because if you take this seriously and you ask for help, you will receive it. That's a fact. But most people don't really want it, and then they ask in a half-hearted way, and they say, ah, God didn't come, I guess he doesn't exist. I'll keep going on with my business. But that's being dishonest, that's living in bad faith. If your faith is real, power will be given but you must want that more than anything else and be willing to live with the consequences of receiving that power which means responsibility which means accurate action living a holy life living as a divine being the consequences are radical they are blissful but they're only blissful if the agony of the ego 
and its ambivalence about it have been resolved. Otherwise they create more suffering. And so this is the choice that you must make in your own conscience. Everyone must make this for themselves. And because much of that choice is made at a deep level that one is not even aware of, one can easily deceive oneself. And the only way you can know whether the choice has been made is, do you feel the presence of that divine power? Is it with you? Have you become one with God? Or are you still one with the desires of the ego, with the body consciousness, with the world and its temptations? To what is your mind united? On this holy night in which we are celebrating the coming birth of our own real self, it behooves us all to make that choice and to take stock of any resistances that we have to that choice, any loyalties we have to the ego and the dysfunctional family system out of which that ego came that is in conflict with our loyalty to God. And when we resolve this question of divided loyalties, that is the essence of crucifixion, we shall rise into the light. It's that simple. You only have to want it with a whole mind, but a whole mind, not a split mind, that wants this and that, that wants God and Satan, a little of God, a little of Satan, not too much of either. It doesn't work that way. One has to make one's choice wholeheartedly and whole-mindedly. That's what very few have chosen to do. But those are the ones who are saved. And salvation is real, and so is the opposite of salvation. And don't think that damnation is only a myth. But hell is not somewhere down below the crust of the earth. It's right here as well. And most of us choose to live in a hell realm rather than in the kingdom of heaven. And it all depends on your choice. So, may we all take the teachings of Christ to heart tonight and choose the Christ self as our own foundation, as our own truth, and to surrender to the father and mother because the mother was left out of the myth she was finally added in in the form of Mary but Mary is not the same as God as mother and father who will take you in with love as well as law and realize that you are that wholeness of the yin and the yang the masculine and the feminine but at the level of that divine oneness which heals all of the dualities of the world and once you are healed, which is another term for salvation, you have become whole, you will become a healer of the world. I wish you all blessings on making the choice of wholeness, empowerment, and divinity. So let's meditate.